You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, His Word, Your Heart, Part 3. Enjoy. We're talking about His Word, Your Heart. And I'm so excited because He has uh, life for you and strength for you. And it comes through His Word. And it comes by His Spirit. So I encourage you to listen to the previous messages. I think this is message number three in this series, but go back and listen to last week's message because I've been just enjoying what the Lord is doing each week as he's making us stronger, as we're, we're coming in one way, but we're leaving higher, we're leaving stronger. We're different people than we were last Sunday. And that's what God does. He changes us. He transforms. I'm not the same person I was eight days ago. I'm not the same person I was seven days ago or six days ago. He transforms us. He takes us higher. He becomes more real to us. He he floods the eyes of our heart with the light of his goodness, and we begin to see things that we haven't seen before. We begin to understand things we haven't understood before. And why does God want to reveal himself to you? Because he loves you. You can't have a good marriage if the husband doesn't know the wife, right? He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his voice. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to uh, be strong in him. So he sends us his word by the Spirit of God. And we said last week that your heart is the garden for God's kingdom. And boy, is that true. Jesus said it this way in Luke 17, 21. He said, the kingdom of God is way, way out there somewhere. Is that what he said? No, he said the kingdom of God is within you. How are you doing, Facebook and YouTube? The kingdom of God is within you. We bless you guys who are joining us at home online. The kingdom of God is within you. Your heart is the garden of the kingdom of God. It's the place that God, it's the designated place that God set aside for his kingdom to grow, to flourish, and to be released in your life, in the the life of those around you. (laughs) Your heart is the garden of your life. It's where the harvest of your life grows. Not in your head, in your heart. But what you keep in your head, if you keep it in there long enough, will end up dropping into your heart. So your head is important, very important. What you choose to think and meditate on and focus your intellect on. Let's go to Proverbs 4, verse 20. Let's go through 20 and 23 again. This is one of my favorite passages in the Scripture. It it, it just, uh, it reveals to us the life and power available to anyone who would believe in God's word. Verse 20, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Now, what did Jesus say? He said, let him who has ears to hear, right? Let him, how do you say it? Help me out. That's exactly right. That's good. Let him who has ears to hear, hear what the ears, what the spirit of the Lord is saying. So he's not talking about these, is he? Right? Well, he's talking about this. It's about your heart. So what's in your heart affects how these work. Isn't that amazing? It affects how these work. What's in here? What's in here affects how you work. Every part of you. Give My son, um, turn your ear to my words. He's talking about your heart. But what you listen to is essential because what you, if you listen, too long, listen to it long enough, it will enter your heart. Do not let them, what, my words, out of your sight. Thank God for the written word, yeah. right? We talk about the word of God. Please don't think we're, we're talking about legalism. Remember, we started with John 1.1 at the beginning of the series. In the beginning was the word, The Word was with God. The Word was God. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Why is he called the Word of God? 
Because our words are expressions of what's in our heart. Jesus is the expression of the heart of God. So we're talking, we talk about the word of God, we're talking about the expression of his heart. Right? Legalism will kill you and it'll make you miserable on the way. The true word of God will set you free and fill you with a joy so that others may even think you're drunk. And we are, but it's a new wine that we're drinking. It's the wine of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And Jesus paid for it. It's on his tab. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them Keep them within your heart. So every, all of these instructions in the first two verses are choices that we make, right? Because we're the ones that are in control of our hearts. Our heart doesn't function on autopilot. It's not automatic. It's a stick, right? You have to operate the clutch. You choose what gear you're going to be in. You have to learn how to do it. I remember when I first learned to drive, I learned with a stick. And, you know, the first time, you're doing a lot of this, you know, especially when you're on a hill, you know. And that's okay when you're learning the Word and you're learning how to hear His voice. Sometimes you look a little jerky. You look a little funny. That's all right. You'll get it smooth, right? But God wants you to learn how to shift gears and move forward into what He's called you to do. Verse 22 says, for they are life. What's life? His words. Right? Jesus is the living word. The Bible's the written word. They are life to everybody. Come on, help me out. To those who find them. So you see, there's a big, it's a big deal what you choose to, to search for. What you choose to set your eyes and your ears on. So they're not life to everybody. They could be life to everybody. But they're life to those who pursue them, to those who are determined to experience and know them, to those who exalt them above the words of man, to those who find them and health to one's whole body. We have it up there. I don't think it would be any clearer than that. And you remember in the Hebrew, if you study the Scripture, it's very powerful. The word we translate health, it's good, it's true. But it's a word that speaks of the cure, the remedy, the medicine for the whole body. Have you elevated the Word of God to that point in your life where you know it's the cure for your whole body? But, but that's crazy. Well, that's what God says in His Word. That shouldn't be foreign to us. It's what our ears and eyes should be focusing on and listening to, right? Health to one's whole body. You can't get any more organic than this. <laughs> what, is it, what do we say when we look for coffee bean primary or origin? What, single, single source or single origin, yeah. This is single origin right here untainted by the wisdom of man. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Take some time today and this week and just meditate on those verses. Let them roll around inside of you. Let them clean out what needs to be cleaned out. Don't be afraid of the word of God. Embrace it. So the, the Lord is encouraging us that his word is health to our whole body. But we've got to choose to put our eyes on it. We've got to choose to turn our ears toward it. And we've got to guard our heart above everything else in our lives. For from our heart flow, one, one translation says, flow the issues of life. One, one translation says, uh, determines the course of your life. So if we want to guard our heart, it's important that we understand the relationship between God's Word, His Word, and your heart. God's Word is the seed, and your heart is the soil. Right? 
God's word's the seed. Your heart is the soil. Did you know that God is attempting to sow his word in your heart every day? Every day he's speaking. He's attempting to deposit in you revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? But we have control over our heart. Do you know that you can harden your heart and not hear from God or allow your heart to be distracted and miss what he's trying to say? So we determine what grows in our hearts by what we choose to focus our eyes on, turn our ears to, right? By what we choose to believe. We determine what grows in our hearts by what we choose to accept and what we choose to reject. We can accept things that are untrue, but it, and it will grow in our heart. Doesn't matter if it's true or not. False things can grow in our heart. And to us, we believe they're true, but they're false because they're contrary to the person of Christ. Right? Above all else, guard your heart. Now, you remember, we, we're not going to go back there for time's sake, but last week we went through Mark chapter 4. And Jesus gives us a very vivid illustration of God's Word in our heart. He talks about God as the sower. The sower sows the Word. Do you remember? The sower sows the Word. And, and God sows the Word, but sometimes we're standing on the wayside instead of on his path for our lives. And on the wayside is where Satan comes and steals away the seed of his word from our lives. Sometimes we can uh, allow ourselves to be shallow and focus on the outer man and look at people from a flesh perspective. And allow ourselves to get offended by others, right? We can harbor unforgiveness. We can judge others according to the flesh. And what does that do? It produces a, a shallow, stony heart. Jesus talked about that. A heart that, where the Word of God could not take root because of the hard places and the shallowness of the soil. And then he talked about uh, the cares of this world. We can choose to embrace and accept the cares of this world. And, and boy, the, the news has got a whole uh, truckload full of them for you, right? If, if, you're, if you're wondering, you know, what can I be anxious about, the media will tell you, right? And you can choose to accept those and embrace those, turn your eyes to those, your ears to those. So he, talks about, he talked about the lusts of other things. All these things choke the Word. So whether or not the Word of God grows in my heart is really up to me, isn't it? I've got to operate. I've got to steer this vehicle according to what He's already said. But then Jesus talked about a, a, a good, healthy heart where the Word of God flourishes and where it grows 30 and 60 hundredfold. So we can choose, rather than listening to the news, rather listening to, to man's wisdom, we can choose to elevate the Word of God, like Proverbs 4. We can choose to lift God's word up above everything we've ever heard or learned or been taught. We can choose to seek Christ first, Matthew 6, 33. And by doing so, we begin to uh, allow our hearts and prepare our hearts to receive what he wants to say to us. I think of my grandpa's garden. Can I talk? We talked about it last week. But it's... it's, it's uh, important to talk a little bit more about it, all right? You never got to know my grandpa, but my grandpa's garden, when I lived with him for a few years growing up, he, he and his wife made a decision. They had a purpose, and they had a designated place on their land that was for their garden. Their purpose, they decided we want certain things in our lives. Yeah. They wanted corn. Okay. They wanted potatoes. 
They wanted onions. They wanted tomatoes. They wanted peppers. They wanted green beans. They wanted lettuce. They had a rhubarb patch. And if you had a piece of my grandma's rhubarb pie, you'd never be the same. (laughs) But they had a purpose. They determined that they wanted to see and experience, taste, and eat certain things in their lives. So they set aside a piece of their land, and they purposed that land to grow what they wanted to see in their lives. And most of my grandpa's year revolved around that garden. Most of his time was spent caring for that garden. I mean, he'd prepare for it uh, by uh, digging up the soil initially when that they decided where they were going to put it. He, he got the tools that he needed. He spent the money he needed, dug up the soil if he needed to get, uh, bring in some other soil or fertilizer. And he would do that and break it up. And, and that would happen, I think he maybe initially did it either in the early spring or in the fall. And then he would plant in the springtime. And he wanted to get good seeds, seeds that would, that would bear and produce and then he'd fertilize the seeds. So after the seeds were planted, he would then fertilize them, and put things on, on them, and then he would weed. We would weed, actually. He would call us out, and we would help Grandpa weed the garden. It was something that we had to do if we wanted to eat the good things that would grow from that garden. If we wanted, the good, if we wanted to see those good things grow, because if the weeds were allowed to grow, they would choke and, and hinder the things that they wanted and we wanted to eat from growing. They would never reach their full potential. Okay? Well, this is all true of our heart. Just living in this world, this world is full of weeds, isn't it? That was never part of God's plan. God created a paradise in the garden. The curse of sin brought the weeds and the thorns and the tornadoes and the hurricanes. That's not a part of God's plan. But we want to be expert farmers with our heart, right? We don't want to go through life without... uh, keeping weeds out of our, our heart and uh, wrong ideas about God are weeds, aren't they? Yeah. Your heart is the garden of his kingdom. And whether you realize it or not, you're in a yearly cycle of growing things just like my grandpa was. Yeah. It was a year commitment, that garden. Year commitment. And even after they harvested, we harvested in the fall, you know, got everything off the stalks and pulled all the potatoes out and, 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 and shucked the corn, did everything you do. We would enjoy some of it then, but they would also can some to take them all the way through into the next season. So guarding your heart is not a one-day deal. It's something we do each day. Every day, all throughout our lives, because we're, we're cognizant we're in enemy territory. And he's trying to get weeds into our thinking, thoughts about God that are contrary to, to his true nature that will keep us from reaching our full potential. Mm-mm. But it's okay, because God is greater. And we're not ignorant of the devil's schemes, Right? But God's word is a safeguard for your heart. And the more that you meditate on the word of God, the stronger your heart comes, becomes and the quicker you recognize weeds. I, Grandpa, had to teach me what weeds were. Some of them looked pretty to me. They had nice blossoms. And he had to explain to me, no, this is this type of flower. That's not. We want to pull that out of the ground. And he would show me the differences in the stem and the difference between the flowers and the weeds. I had to learn that. You've got to learn that because there's a lot of lies the enemy's trying to sell you that are very pretty. And they'll appeal to your intellect. And they have some truth in them. But this morning, we're going to get into the Word, the nature of God. And we're going to hit some doozies, okay? And and, and I want to encourage you to let your past go. 
and to embrace the person of Christ. Because we don't have to guess at God's true nature. We don't have to wonder about how good he is. He's revealed himself to us through his son. So the goodness of God, well, let me say this. If you want to have a healthy garden, it is essential that you know how good God is. The goodness of God is the fertilizer you need for a healthy garden. And many, and I think every believer would, if I said God is good, would agree to that. But then if you'll hear the things they actually believe, they're not good. The things they believe about God, they're not good at all. They believe that God put a sickness on their relative and took them to heaven because he had some divine purpose in it. That's not good. There's nothing good about sickness. If we serve a God that takes little kids away, uh, that's a God I don't want to serve. There's nothing good about that, is there? Let's be real. Can we be honest in church? Is there anything good about a little child dying? Is there anything good about someone's life being cut short by a, by a car accident or a tragedy? Nothing good about that. God's not in those things. God doesn't do those things. God doesn't cause them, and God doesn't allow them. Stay with me. Let's get into this. This is a giant that we attack regularly at Highway Church. Because there's a lot of push behind this. Because if you don't know how good God is, you're going to accept things that happen around you or that Satan's trying to do to you because you don't know how good God is. When you know the goodness of God, you're able to stand up firmly and reject the things that Satan's trying to put in your life and embrace what Christ has done for you. So what we choose to believe determines what grows in our hearts, but it's the goodness of God that enables our hearts to be healthy and gives us the discernment so that we know what to reject and what to accept. So this is a, a Dean actually sent me this text a couple days ago, and it just fit perfectly in what the Lord was uh, impressing upon my heart to speak about his goodness and the, the goodness of God is not a trivial thing. It's not a nice little thing we say to kind of relieve the pressure and make us feel better. It's, it's the reality of his resurrection. It makes lame people whole. It makes maimed people whole and blind eyes see and deaf ears hear the goodness of God. And it came into the earth in its fullness through Jesus Christ and if you've put your faith in Christ, that same spirit that operated through him is in you. Let him out by meditating in the word. Find out the resurrection power of Christ that's in you. So let me read to you. Dean took a little picture of what he was reading. And this is from a, a book by Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And it's on page 52 of the book. And, and this is what she writes. And I don't know how many years ago this was. But uh, she says this, Outstanding research has recently been done by Dr. Gail Ironson, a leading mind-body medicine researcher and professor of psychology and psychiatry at the University of Miami. She found that the most significant factor that made a difference in healing for those with HIV was their choice to believe in a benevolent and loving God. Nothing trivial about the goodness of God. But you begin to experience the reality of it when you know His goodness personally. She goes on to say that. Especially if they also choose to have a personal relationship with a benevolent and loving God. Her study ran over four years, and her determination of healing was based on the decrease of their viral load. Their viral load. The amount of the AIDS virus in a sample of blood. And the increased concentration of helper T-cells. The higher the concentration, the more the body is able to fight disease. So according to her study, if they believed that God was good and loving, and especially if they entered into a relationship 
with this benevolent, loving God. Their viral load decreased and their helper T-cells increased. She found that those who did not believe God, uh, excuse me, she found that those who did not believe God lost, oh, did not believe, I read that wrong, did not believe God loved them. So those who did not believe that God loved them lost helper T-cells three times faster. God is good, and his mercy endures forever. That's what brought Jesus out of the grave. Nothing more powerful than the goodness of God. Their viral load also increased three times faster. Those who did not believe that God is good and that God loved them. And their stress levels were higher with damaging amounts of cortisol flowing. Dr. Ironson summarizes her research by saying, if you believe God loves you, it's an enormously protective factor. Even more protective than scoring low for depression or high for optimism. A view of a benevolent God is protective, but... Scoring high on the personalized statement, God loves me, is even stronger. It's one thing to know that God is good. It's another thing to know that his goodness is directed towards you 24-7. Hallelujah. How good is God? We'll, We'll forever be learning that, won't we? But we can know how good he is by looking at Jesus. In fact, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Jesus is the embodiment of the goodness of God. He demonstrated to the world how good God is. And he is the only way that you can become grounded in the goodness of God. By getting to know Jesus personally. You can can look at every other philosophy you want to look at. You can look at the wisdom of man. But there is no one like Jesus. No one demonstrated like he did the goodness of God. And now we as Christians, we we call our message the gospel. Well, what does that mean? The good news, right? The good news. Jesus is the embodiment of the goodness of God. So in Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions, in many days, he's talking about prior to Christ, right? Prior to Christ, Old Testament. In these last days, through Christ, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Speaking of Jesus, verse 3, his son, Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. Wow. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's nature. He is the embodiment of the goodness of God. Now, are you brave? Can we get into some real life issues? Can we apply the goodness of God to our real life instead of it being a theory and a religious doctrine? Can we, can we make knowing Him a real life daily experience? See, what many have heard in their religious tradition is a little bit, little bit of good news that's been smothered by man's religious reasonings. They've heard a little wee bit of good news, but they've got all, they've, they've got all this heavy religious uh, tradition and reasonings piled on top of it. Now, I want you to understand I'm not picking on anybody. I'm talking about ideas. Okay, now I grew up in a a very uh, respected religious tradition. 
and, uh, and, 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 and I'm not finding fault with, with uh, not picking on anybody. This is not a person thing. Because ultimately what we're wrestling in is spirits, right? Spirits of darkness trying to keep you from experiencing the goodness of God. That's all this is about. So I grew up, and, and you know, I, thankfully we did have pictures of Jesus in the church I was in. So I got to, you know, see pictures of him. And I did learn, I, there are pictures of him carrying his cross and being on the cross, and that was good. So somehow I picked up in there a little bit that he died for my sins. Praise God for that. But the problem was, there are all these heavy things piled on top of that. And I'm just a little kid, and I'm noticing these things. It just felt heavy and difficult to me. And I was given a list of things that I had to do to be on God's nice list. And they weren't easy things to do. There were prayers I had to pray multiple times every day. Same prayer, you say this prayer five times, this prayer seven times, this prayer four times, this prayer three times. And you had to do that every day. Now this is not unique to the religious tradition I grew up in. I'm just talking about what I experienced, all right? But you'll notice variations of this in any religious tradition, okay? Because man hasn't realized that the price for sin has been paid. Man's still trying to atone for his sins by his own works, which is futile, right? So there I am uh, as a little boy thinking, God, God's got to be better than this. You know, I'm seven, eight years old, and that's the thoughts going through my head as I'm being given these long lists every week of what I have to do. And I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't, I didn't have the knowledge of the doctrines they were teaching, and I couldn't, but I just knew something wasn't quite right. Do you know it was never God's plan to have denominations? That's the enemy's plan, isn't it? To divide us, right? Well, how do denominations come about? Well, primarily because of the ignorance of the goodness of God. The ignorance of who Jesus really is, what he's done for us, and who we are in him. Right? And that's what we focus on here at Highway. Also, hardness of heart is another biggie. Self-righteousness, another biggie. So I went through this religious tradition, and thankfully, after we completed, we got to a certain level, we were allowed to decide for ourselves if we wanted to continue coming, and that was it for me. That was done. So thank you. I'll see you later. Right? But what I began to do, I didn't know the Bible at all, unfortunately. It wasn't something we studied in the religious tradition I grew up in. But what I began to do is I began to take walks at night, maybe 10, 11, 12, 1 in the morning. I'd take walks for two or three hours, and I'd walk on the golf course across from my home, and I'd, I'd say, God, who are you? Show yourself to me. You've got to be better than this. I want to know you. And I would just walk and talk to God, didn't know one scripture. And you know, the Holy Spirit began to move in my life and began to reveal Christ to me. Now, uh, it took probably about a year and a half to two years before actually someone gave me a Bible, and I had moved away by that point. But I, I, maybe about a year and a half, two years later of, of talking with God, and uh, I got into a conversation with someone. They began talking about the Bible, and I had never read it. And I said, I'll tell you what, if you get me one, I'll read it. This is back in 1989. And the next day he came back, and there was a Bible. And he handed it to me, and I said, where do I start? And he, he opened it, and he said, well, there's an Old Testament, there's a New Testament. He said, why don't you start in the New Testament and read the book of John and get to know Jesus? I thought, okay. So he left, and I took my Bible that he gave me, and I went back to my room, and I closed the door, and I put the Bible on my desk, and I put my hand on it. I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know anything. I just said, Father, show yourself to me. Same prayer. And I opened and I began reading in John chapter 1, verse 1. And the Holy Spirit, I didn't understand all of this then. I just knew I was experiencing God. He opened my eyes to the person of Christ. Amen. And I couldn't get enough of that Bible. Still can't. Uh, I, I just began to eat it and read it and, and eat it and read it. And, and it's, it's, there's nothing that compares to this yeah. in my life. Not legalistically, because this teaches me about the goodness of God. 
right? The more I understand his goodness, right, the more I experience uh, his will in my life, the more I, I have understanding and clarity in making decisions and moving forward in what he's called me to do. So I began reading this, and I'm sharing that with you because I want you to be a wise farmer. I, I want you to learn to embrace the Word of God and reject anything contrary to it. Again, not in a legalistic way, but in a farming way. Right? So that we can grow the fruit of Christ in our lives. So I made a decision as I began to read through this book. And I began to see how different it was from what I had been told growing up. I mean, stark contrast by very esteemed religious experts who had a lot of clout in the community they were in were, were contrary to what Jesus was demonstrating. I decided I was going to go with Jesus. And I didn't know, this is how, how ignorant I was, I didn't know there were any other kind of churches than the one I was in. Because we were told, if you're not in this one, you're lost. That's what we were told. Isn't that the way it usually goes? If you're not in ours, you don't know what you're talking about, right? So I really didn't know. So I started reading the Bible, and I thought, okay, so this is what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who reads the Bible and believes it. I'm just being honest with you. I didn't know anything. That's what I saw, and I began experiencing what I was reading. Just ate the Gospels up, began experiencing healing in my body, and I was sick most of my life. I, be, I, I read Acts. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues. I had no one to tell me it wasn't for today. I was just reading and believing. But then I started meeting. I was in a, a campus of about 18,000 students. I started meeting other Christians from different groups. And, and I, they would say things like the, um, the Holy Spirit's not for the day, gifts of the Spirit. I thought, no, I, didn't, I just was shocked. Who told them that? Where is that in the Bible that the Holy Spirit stopped? That it, he was just for the apostles, first, the original apostles. I couldn't find it. I still haven't found it because it's not true. And so I began experiencing God in a wonderful way, and I began growing, and I began looking for believers who had just taken at his word. And it was hard to find. So I remember going to a meeting uh, on the campus there uh, of this group that, that basically taught that what I was experiencing was, was not from God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. And so I thought, well, I just want to go and see what, like, what, what's their basis for this. And they ended up using a scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, I think it's verse 10, that talks about that when, when Christ returns, when the perfect one comes, and when we're glorified, there's not going to be a need for any of these gifts anymore. And they took that to mean that Christ has already come, so we don't need the Holy Spirit of the gifts. I thought, now, how in the world did they get that out of that scripture? Right? Because if you look at the context, it's, it's not saying Jesus already came. It's talking about his return and the glorification of the church. And, and we're not going to need any of these things. Um, but Christ came the first time so the Holy Spirit could come. Right? So I bring this up. And again, I'm not interested in, in putting anyone down. I am interested in tearing down strongholds of thinking that's contrary to Christ. These things aren't easy to talk about. Please don't take offense at it. But I'm going to run after Jesus for the rest of my life. Okay? And, and you may like that. You may not. But I'm going to do it anyway. Because he's the one who made me. And he's the one who saved me. And he's the one who redeemed me. And he's the one who's going to get all the glory in my life. Right? <laughs> so we're going to talk about four things specifically. We're going to talk about uh, healing the Holy Spirit, prosperity, and grace. I call them the ABCs of the goodness of God. And we're going to talk about these because the, the Satan has stirred up so much controversy around these ABCs that many ministers are afraid to even talk about them. Yeah. And it's kept people away from experiencing the abundant life Christ came to give them. So I am uh, I'm very... Uh, aware of ideas that come my way. It's the primary focus of my day is uh, what I'm allowing myself to think about. 
what I'm allowing myself to watch and listen to. I believe Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. I believe it applies to today. Now, before we get into these ABCs of the goodness of God, let me say this to you. I don't understand everything in the Bible. I never will. I believe we'll be studying the revelation in here for the rest of eternity because God is so endless. And I'm not claiming to know everything. I don't. We don't know everything. We don't have a corner on the market. I have not arrived. No one has, right? We're pursuing Christ. I say that because what I'm about to talk about is not the fullness of the revelation of God. It's not I know everything. It's the ABCs of Jesus. It's one, two, three, ABC. Okay? But you will see that oftentimes when these things are talked about, people will say, well, who do you think you are? You think you know everything? Of course not. These are just the simple things that Jesus revealed to us in his ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Okay? Now, legalism teaches us to be hypercritical, right? We're critical of anyone who mildly disagrees with what we believe, right? That's what legalism does. We're hypercritical and we're condemning. And I heard this, and I, you know, back to, since 1989, I heard this term thrown out a lot, false teacher. And I thought, oh, what's a false teacher? Now, I knew what I was reading in the Bible, but that wasn't how these people were using it. In the Bible, a false teacher is someone who leads you away from Christ. Someone that teaches you about another Messiah or someone that claims to be the Messiah, right? That's what cults. And I, I had very good uh, instruction from a pastor when I first came to the Lord as I had met people in different cults. And he said, well, if you want to save time, if you meet someone who's in a cult, go right to the heart of it. Because the difference between us and any other belief system is we believe that Jesus is God that he's the Messiah, that he's the Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Now, I noticed, and I remember getting a pamphlet of maybe, I don't know, 18 different cults and what they believe and comparing it to the Scriptures, but there are a lot of truths in every cult. Very similar to some of the things we believe. But all truth hinges upon the person of Christ. Satan's not a dummy. He's defeated, but he's not a dummy. He knows that if he comes to you with a whopper, chances are you're not going to believe it. So he's got to put some truth in there, right? So the person of Christ, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, is a safeguard for us. If anyone comes to you and even begins to move you slightly away from Jesus as the Messiah, that's a direction you don't want to go, Right? If someone, the Bible teaches we're saved by grace. If someone comes along and tells you, well, you're saved by grace, and you've got to do this, and you've got to, I saw a lot of that over the last 30 years. Sorry, I I mean, I, I love you, but I'm saved by grace through faith. What must we do to do the works of God? Only believe. Who said that? His name is Jesus. I'm going to go with him, right? So, um... False, what, the way that I heard this term false teacher being used, so now I'm just, I'm just pulling examples, and I know we're all from different backgrounds, so some of this might hit close to home. I don't mean to offend anyone. Uh, let me think if I can use an example. So let's say I grew up in a religious tradition, and they told me that Jesus died for my sins, but I have to go to confession so many times over a course of whatever, the month. And that if I don't do that, I'm not forgiven. Oh boy. What have they just done? They've added something to the Bible. They've added something to the finished work of Christ. And that's a heavy weight to carry. And I remember growing up thinking, well, I don't know. What are all my sins? I don't know. I stole bubble gum from the milk store. I did that. I knew that was wrong. I did. It was a bubble gum cigar. I remember I was in the back seat of my mom's green Buick. And she's getting away to pull. We were at the milk store, and she hears this wrapper in the back seat. I see the, her eyes in the rearview mirror. I said, oh, busted. I knew that was wrong. But, you know, you don't even know how many sins you've committed. You'll never know. 
Anything that's mildly contrary to him is a sin. Yeah. You, you, you can't confess all your sins. hate to break it to you, but you can't. You may know of some, but you don't know all of them. Jesus forgave you of all of them. Yeah. The ones you know about and the ones you don't. So you can forget about being sin conscious and become Christ conscious. See, that's a trick of the enemy. He wants you to walk around being conscious of your faults and mistakes. And what will happen if you do that? You make more, right? Because you end up acting upon what you're conscious of. If you become conscious of the righteousness of God that Christ has given you, you begin acting that way. So they began saying, so let's say that's my tradition I grew up in. Then I'm with someone from that tradition and we're watching TV and they hear a preacher teaching that you're righteous through simple faith in Christ. And they say, false teacher. It's not a false teacher. It's someone who has a better understanding of the word and of grace. Are you following me? You've heard of Martin Luther, right? Back in what, 15... 17? October, right? Martin Luther historically uh, was in a, in a religious tradition, and he had a revelation that actually from Ephesians and from a number of places in the Scriptures were saved by grace through faith. He was called a heretic, a false teacher, a blasphemer. Was he a false teacher? Of course not. He, he saw something in the Word that was there all along that others couldn't see because their vision was blocked by the religious tradition. So I bring that up. Don't use that term. There are, there are all kinds of denominations, and I, I, I am thankful for all of them. I'm thankful for uh, uh, anyone I hear uh, teach people that Jesus is the way to salvation, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. doesn't mean I agree with everything they say. But thank God for that. They're not a false teacher. So if someone is teaching you have to be baptized in water to be saved, that doesn't mean they're a false teacher. It just means they're ignorant of God's requirement for salvation. Right? So I don't, have to, I don't have to slam them. I don't have to name them by name and call them a false teacher. That's not what we're talking about at all. So Martin Luther, I'm thankful for the revelation that God gave to Martin Luther, the simplicity of being saved by grace. Through faith. That changed the world, did it not? It was that same revelation that Jesus brought into the earth and that the apostles preached. Paul called it the gospel of grace, right? So I want you to understand what the difference is between a real false teacher and someone who's not a false teacher. A false teacher is someone who, who leads you away from Christ as your salvation, from Christ as the Messiah, from the Bible as the word of God. Okay? That's what a false teacher is. So let's get into the ABCs of the goodness of God. We're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about prosperity. And we're going to talk about grace as much as we have time for today. I don't want to rush through it. And I know these can be challenging because we've all been told different things. And one of the things that keeps us from experiencing this simple reality of our salvation in Christ is we base what we believe on what we've been through. So in other words, someone reads in the book of Acts about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they're speaking in tongues and they pray and it doesn't happen or they don't experience it that way. So they come to a conclusion that it must not be for today based on what they have or have not experienced. Or someone prays for someone and they don't get any better or they don't experience their healing. So they come to the conclusion, well, healing must not be God's will for everyone. Don't ever base what you believe on what you have or have not experienced. Always base what you believe on the person and ministry of Christ as revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. If you want to experience God, if you want to live the abundant life he's called to give you, if I have any beliefs based on anything other than the person and ministry of Christ, they will fall short and hinder me from experiencing the person and ministry of Christ. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, uh, when he was in his hometown in, is it Mark 5 or Mark 4, somewhere in there, 
that it says in the Scriptures he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus was limited by people's unbelief. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which means he was trying because that's what he did. He went about, Matthew said, teaching, preaching, and healing. Luke, who wrote Acts, said that he was anointed of God. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. But in his hometown, when they wouldn't exalt him for who he was, when they wouldn't elevate him above their traditions, he, he could do no mighty works there. So that would reinforce their beliefs, wouldn't it? Oh, he, see, he's not the Messiah. He, <laughs> are you following me? So here they are. They're not accepting Jesus. They don't believe that he can heal. As a result, he's hindered in doing the things he wants to do in their life, which further reinforces their beliefs. Did you catch that? So their belief's still wrong, but now they're, 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 they think they're justified in it. But it's not Jesus has changed. It's their stubbornness of heart. Right? And when you're hard-hearted, you're looking for reasons to justify the hardness of your heart. Right? So they've probably felt justified, seeing he's a fraud. He couldn't do it. He couldn't heal that person. And it wasn't, the, pro the problem wasn't with Jesus, it was with their hearts. Really important to understand that. Right? So let's talk about healing. Remember Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. And Hebrews 13, 8 says he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I remember hearing people say, well, it's different now. Jesus just did that to prove he was the Son of God. But that's over now. You know, these things happen just to kind of kickstart the church. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He'll do even greater. See, that was what it, I was in the book. These things are rolling inside of me. So I'd hear people say things like that, and I thought, boy, they haven't, they haven't accepted what Jesus said. Jesus said, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these. You can be in the presence of God and not see him. You can be in the presence of God and not be healed. Not because he doesn't want to heal you, not because this is his will to heal you, because your heart's not ready. Yeah. That's shocking, isn't it? Yeah. Is it in Psalms where it, 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 God talks about, the psalmist says, they limited the Holy One of Israel. All right, we, we may as well go there. We're talking about healing. In order to really receive healing, you've got to understand the goodness of God. And these two go together, so I'll bring them up. God's sovereignty has been wrongly defined. It's been wrongly defined. So when some, someone comes along like me and begins to talk about what I'm about to say, some people get really upset. Well, God is sovereign. I agree, God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? He's above all. Right? God in his above allness in his sovereignty, decided to make man in his likeness, in his image, and he gave man sovereignty over the earth. Yeah, read Genesis, read Romans 5, right? Man who had control over the earth, authority over the earth, you know what the original sin was? Wasn't eating the fruit. What did God command man to do? To be in dominion on the earth. To, to, to subdue on his behalf. The sin was he didn't subdue the snake. He let the snake speak. That was the original sin. Right? He didn't exercise the authority gave him. What things are you allowing to speak in your life? When are you going to exercise your authority? When you learn who you are in Christ. There are things I don't allow to talk to me. Sickness is one of them. I don't allow it to talk to me. I'm off limits. That might sound crazy to you, but I, I guess I'm crazy then. So the sovereignty of God, he's above all, and he made man in his own image. And man rejected God. And Romans tells us it's the... Uh, Weymouth translation, it says that, that death seized the sovereignty, Romans 5, 17. 
seized the sovereignty through, through Adam's transgression. And that's when death began to reign in the earth. God is not controlling what goes on in the earth, despite what you may have been told. Jesus, how, do I, how can I say these things so definitively? Because Jesus demonstrated this in his ministry. See, this is related to healing. Jesus rebuked storms. He didn't accept them as from his Father. Why are there Christian songs being written that God is in the storm? Where'd they get that from? Not from Jesus. I want to sing things that Jesus said. I want to think like Jesus. What did Jesus do when he was faced with a storm? His disciples didn't know what to do. They were panicking. They thought they were going to die. They got him up, and he wasn't confused at all. He knew this was an attack from the enemy trying to keep him from going to the other side and preaching the good news because Satan didn't want those people to know how good God was. So Jesus speaks directly to the storm and rebukes it. If that storm was from his father, Jesus was rebuking his father. You know that never happened. That means his kingdom's divided and we're in big trouble. So this idea that God is controlling everything, you don't see that in in the Bible. You don't see that in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus rebuked sickness. That shoots a big hole in the, the teaching that God brought a sickness into my life to teach me something. Anything that Jesus rebuked or came against is not from his Father. Isn't this simple? But it's different from what we've normally heard, isn't it? It's different maybe than the conclusions we've come to because what we've seen going on in our lives and maybe in the lives of our loved ones. But you've got to separate yourself from your past, from man's wisdom, from religious tradition, and study the written ministry of Jesus Christ. And then elevate him in your heart and mind. Take him at his word. So I I, I looked at Jesus and I saw him rebuking sickness and rebuking devils, rebuking storms. So that tells me right away, none of these things are from God. God wasn't allowing them and God wasn't causing them. In fact, you know what Jesus called Satan? The ruler of this world. Whoa! That's what he called him. Jesus knew how Satan got the authority that he had. Paul called him the God of this world. That's the reason for sickness in this world and tragedies and earthquakes and, uh, and crime and all that garbage is Satan's the God of this world. He's trying to, to, to steal, kill, and destroy from whoever will let him. We're not going to let him, are we? Hallelujah. So here's a verse on healing. You may have never read this verse and thought about healing, but let's read it. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. See, in order to receive healing and continue enjoying healing, you've got to know it's the will of God for your life. I could not have received forgiveness of my sins if I didn't know that it was the will of God for my life. Many are trying to have faith, but they don't have knowledge of God's will. Faith comes from knowledge of His will. I don't have to have a faith to say my phone number. Because I know it now. Right? You need to know God's will as you know your own phone number. As you know your own name. As you know your own social security number. And you become that sure of his will by studying the person and ministry of Jesus. Yeah. So Jesus is talking. And look how simple Jesus makes this. He says, ask... And it will be given to you. I mean, that's nothing like what I was told growing up. You know, you kind of throw up your prayers, maybe about 75 prayers, and you hope that God hears them. But then you just kind of go on with life and don't really expect them to happen. But you'll throw up another 75 next week, right? This wasn't Jesus. Jesus says, ask. It'll be given to you. Seek. You will find. Wow, isn't this simple? Couldn't make it any simpler than this. Knock, it will be open to you. You telling me God's door is open? Yeah. Jesus is that door, right? For everyone who asks receives. 
And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. I love the simplicity of the gospel. Boy, does man make it complicated. I remember the weights that fell off me as I read these words. As I just read through the Bible, I thought, wow, I wish someone would have told me this a long time ago. Now, this is Jesus talking, so, so this is the Word of God, right? It says, what man is there among you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Of course not. Thought never enters a dad's mind, right? Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. Well, our kids don't like fish. We'll probably give them a hamburger or something. But never a serpent, right? Serpent's not on the menu. Now, this is Jesus talking. Look how simple. Don't complicate this. We're talking about healing. We're talking about the goodness of God. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him. So God is better than the most generous and benevolent human being? Oh, yeah. Way better. God's better than the best dad you've ever met? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So one of the things I encourage people, as you're reading through the Bible... Or as you're going through life trying to discern what's from God and what's not from God, ask yourself this question. Would a, would a parent give that to their children? If the answer is no, you know it's not from God. Now what Jesus just said here flies in the face of a lot of religious teaching. I remember going to funerals back well, all throughout my walk with the Lord, but when I first got saved and, and very recently too, where the minister would stand up there and talk about how God brought this sickness into so-and-so's life because God wanted to take them home. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask you? So God gave this person tuberculosis or leukemia? Well, wouldn't, wouldn't someone be rightfully put in prison or executed for something like that if, they, if a, a human being did that, right? If a, if a parent injected their child with a disease, right, that's, that, that'd be murder, wouldn't it? That'd be a crime, wouldn't it? Come on, we're just being real. You can be real in church. I don't like playing church. I don't like church games. I like living a real life with real Jesus. Right? Wouldn't it be a crime for a parent to injure their child intentionally? Right? That would be child abuse, which is a crime, right? Why would we teach from a pulpit that God does this? We've got to change our thinking, right? We've got to elevate the words of Jesus, don't we? Right? God is good. So I also say, well, let me ask you a question. Someone will read something in the Bible, and usually it's taken out of context. And they'll say, but it says here in the Bible. And I say, let me ask you a question. Would a good father do that? No. Then you're misunderstanding the Scriptures. And that's usually what's happening. They're taking it out of context. They don't understand what's going on before that, what preceded that, what's happening after that, God's timeline of getting his son into the earth and all these things. So uh, we're going to continue. I wish I had time to go into the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know that um, this week, Proverbs 4, 20 through 23, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, and Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Write those down. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. I have a mission. That is to get you to see Jesus as much as I can. To turn your eyes off of religious tradition, off of man's wisdom, onto the living Christ. Thankfully, we have a perfect written recording of eyewitnesses in the Bible of his ministry so we don't have to uh, theorize and speculate. We can know how good he is. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you revealed yourself to us through your Son. And, Lord, we are choosing today to embrace the ministry of your Son. 
We thank you that he's the same today as he was back on the shores of Galilee 2,000 years ago. That he came to reveal you as the good, good father. He came to open the door to your family through simple faith. That no matter who we are or where we're from, where we're from, that we can become your son, your daughter, through simple faith in Jesus Christ. He came, he brought the good news that salvation is available through faith in him. That we're saved not by our own efforts or by our righteous acts, but through faith in the grace of you, Father. We're saved by your grace. And Lord, we rejoice in the abundance of your grace. It's more than we could ever need. And we rejoice in the gift of your righteousness. So, Father, I pray for this uh, family of believers, those who are here with us in the warehouse, and those who are joining us at home through Facebook or YouTube. Lord, I ask you to minister by your Spirit to them today as they go through these scriptures, Proverbs 4, 20 through 23, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Holy Spirit, illuminate Christ to us. Flood the eyes of our heart with the light of Christ, that we would know the confidence of your calling upon our lives, that we would know the riches of our inheritance in you, that we would know the resurrection power of Christ that is in and for us who believe. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.